Word of God is always good. But uh, it's so rich, Book of Daniel. I, I just, I'm so, I've been so blessed just studying it. And as always, the Word of God is so amazingly relevant for now, for right now. I'll tell you, Daniel's going to rattle your cage. And we're going to get some revelation. And uh, God's going to establish us in His Word. And um, really and truly, uh, we just finished the revelation. You can't teach the revelation without having Daniel in the other hand. And if you're going to teach Daniel, you're going to have to refer to the revelation. The two agree and um, really talk about some of the same things several times. It's uncanny. John is really an expansion of Daniel. The book of Revelation is really an expansion of a lot of what's in Daniel. So it's going to be good. Now, a couple of things about the the growth track. I want to plug the growth track. I want to encourage you to get into the growth track. Um, Jason didn't mention when, and so I believe it's at 11. Here I am. I don't know when either, but, but I believe it's 11. And if you just ask somebody, they'll tell you where, where to go upstairs. It's in the upper area where God is moving. You're teaching it, right, Robert? And, and room 213. See, he, there was my answer, standing right there. All right. And it's a good, good series. And, and if you want to get plugged in to Turning Point, get into the growth track. Just come to the, the 9 o'clock service, which is the best one. And... Um, it's before I'm all worn out, you know. And then um, go upstairs for the second one. Give God a little more time than usual, and he'll speak to you through that class. And you might even make a friend. Okay? Now, let's pray, and then we're going to get into Daniel. I am venturing where I haven't gone in months. You will notice I'm holding a clicker. Now, if you haven't been with us in the past, we have had demons get into our clicker. Seriously. So we've ordered, I'm told, the clicker of all clickers. I was told if I was standing in the hotel and hit the button, it would change it in here. Now, I'm going to show you who said that so that if it doesn't work, you can turn around. Right there, Tyler. But I believe it's going to work. And if it doesn't, I have my iPad with me. And I came loaded for bear. Okay? All right, so we're going to get through the first chapter of Daniel tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the book of Daniel, for the Word of God. And, Lord, that in this Word, you have given us incredible revelation and and messages and lessons for life. And we pray that, Lord, as always, you will make the Word of God come alive. Lord, I need your anointing tonight. I need the Holy Spirit to touch me tonight, to communicate this effectively And, Lord, we need ears to hear and eyes to see what is being communicated. And so we pray, Lord, for revelation, for the ability to understand and grasp what God is saying to us through his eternal, inerrant word. Now, if you'll just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart tonight and change me through the book of Daniel in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be so good. All right, I just did my first click, and it worked. All right. And, and so let's just go along, because you're going to be able to go along with me. The same thing is going to be up here for you. But the book of Daniel is easily divided 
into two sections. The first six chapters are historical. It's, it's really historical biographical. It's Daniel. It's all about Daniel and the, the three Hebrew children. You know their names, so say them with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? So it's, it's historical slash biographical. And the first six chapters just kind of give us a glimpse into how they overcame the incredible pressure to assimilate into a pagan kingdom. And, man, you talk about being relevant because there is pressure on us right now to assimilate into a pagan kingdom. And so it's really a now word, okay? The second six chapters are prophetic, profoundly prophetic. They have to do not only with um, the time that Daniel lived in and things that would soon happen, things he got to see come to pass in his own life, but his prophecies are apocalyptic and reach down into the last days, our day. Very, very powerful stuff. Messiah stuff. Jesus coming back stuff. Um, Antichrist stuff. Okay? He wrote his book around 530 B.C., and um, that's uh, 530 years, of course, before Jesus came. So way back in history, centuries before Christ. And his writings record the events of the Babylonian captivity in 560 to 536 B.C. You remember uh, the Babylonian captivity. You know, you can't really read the Bible for long, especially the Old Testament, especially books like Jeremiah, without reading about the Babylonian captivity and lamentations, all about Jeremiah watching the captivity take place and how heartbreaking it was and how Judah severely paid for their sins, okay? His book also describes the apocalyptic visions given him by God, speaking not only to his own times, but of the events and plans of God for everyone's future because they reached down to the last days. So what God gave Daniel, part of what he gave him, he had you in mind. He had you in mind, us in mind, the day in which we live in mind. Very powerful. Uh, The prophecies mention the coming Messiah. The apocalyptic events revealed more fully in John's revelation. Daniel 12, 8 to 9. Here's just a little example, a little slice of how he goes into the last days. As for me, I heard but could not understand. This is Daniel talking. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And what did the Lord say to him? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words... The words of the prophecy that I've given you are concealed and sealed up until when, everybody? The end time. So there you go. God said to Daniel, you you know, you're going to sleep with your fathers. Uh, You know, you're going to die like they did, and you're going to rest with your fathers, and you're going to go on into heaven, and and you're not going to see some of what I've given to you. Some of what I've given to you is going to pertain to people living in the last days. And that's us. Now, the key personalities of the book of Daniel include Daniel, naturally, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belshazzar, and Darius, the king of the Medes. And I want to stick on to the end of that, Cyrus. Uh, um, Daniel uh, experiences Cyrus releasing the captives to go back and rebuild their homeland. But primarily, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belshazzar, Darius, the king of the Medes. Now, the purpose of this book 
is to provide a historical account of how the Lord protected and provided for his faithful followers while they were in captivity. How many of you know that no matter what happens in our nation, God's going to take care of you? Do you know that? Do you really know that? Well, we're going to see that because Daniel and the three Hebrew children were in major pagan captivity, and yet God not only kind of provided for them, but major league in major ways in miraculous breakthroughs took care of his own, sustained his own, protected his own, strengthened his own. So they didn't just eke on through the captivity. They sailed through. And the book of Daniel also provides a vision of future redemption and hope for all of us. Now let's just begin with the beginning, Daniel 1 verse 1. And I want to read two verses that sort of take us into the historical context of, of what was going on when Daniel wrote this. He says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, that was a dark day. And the Lord gave Jeho- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, that is Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Can you imagine the things that have been dedicated to the real God got stolen away and put into the temple of a pagan false God where they were defiled? And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God, who was a fake God, an idolatrous God. So the book launches with a brief description of the invasion of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity that followed. We read all about this invasion. If you want to read about how it all came about and how Jeremiah the prophet, for instance, he's not the only prophet that warned Judah. Um, Some of the minor prophets warned them. But Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you, of all the prophets, and I mean Isaiah with his beautiful, eloquent speech, um, Ezekiel with his really bizarre Star Wars kind of stuff that he saw, For me, Jeremiah is the easiest to read. He's sort of like it's easy to read John, all right? When you read Jeremiah, there's just something about it. It's easy to make uh, contact with it and understand it and embrace it and flow with it. And here's Jeremiah called as a teenager to begin warning Judah that if you don't repent, God is going to judge you and send you into captivity, and you're going to lose it all. And he preached to them, folks, for decades. He began as a teenager, and it ended when he was an older man. He didn't have any converts. None of the kings believed him. None of the political leaders believed him. No one took him seriously. The so-called priests and false prophets that were prophesying in the name of God but weren't real mocked him, ridiculed him, put him in the stocks, made his life hell, made him despair of life, just put him through the ringer. But Jeremiah outlived them, and he was there when Nebuchadnezzar came in and began to lay siege to Jerusalem, and he watched his own prophecies come to pass. But watch this. He wasn't sitting there going, I told you so. I told you so. He was weeping his eyes out till he couldn't cry anymore. Read Lamentations. But if you want to understand what led up to 
Judah being taken captive and, and all that was going on and the way that Judah just resisted and hated and despised the true Word of God, then what you will see is a reflection of America. Matter of fact, my Bible, the book of Jeremiah, is so marked up, I had to go in with some whiteout and clean some of it up so I could read it again because I had so many notes. And how many times in it did I say, America, 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 my Lord, this is America. Read Jeremiah. So we do read all about the invasion in the book of Jeremiah. He witnessed it with his own prophecies or his own prophecies coming to pass before his eyes. Now, the captivity of the Jewish people came in stages. It happened incrementally. It lasted around 21 years with the first invasion, okay? One group would be carried off to Babylon. Then the remainder of Jews in Jerusalem would rebel, and they, what was Jeremiah's word to them? It was, submit to Nebuchadnezzar, go to Babylon, serve Nebuchadnezzar, and and live out this captivity. Don't resist him. That was his message. And all the false prophets said, no, 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 no. God's not going to let us be taken captive. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. And so they resisted him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would come in. He would take some of the Hebrew people away back into captivity, and those that remained would rebel again against the rule of Babylon. And he would come and he would take more. And so they went through this several times until finally Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem for over a year, ultimately invading it, destroying the temple, Solomon's glorious, beautiful, magnificent, unprecedented, nothing like it in the history of the world temple, came in that temple where when it was dedicated, no one in there could stand on their feet for the presence of God. That temple, that God spoke to Solomon in that temple. God received that temple. That temple, centuries down the road, was taken down to the ground, burned, destroyed. The city was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. And the Hebrew people were chained. And children were chained to their parents' legs. And They were marched through the streets. They were starving after this year-long siege. Uh, Re-lamentations, their their skin was cleaving to their bones. Their skin was was black from starvation and and malnutrition, and they they were carried off into Babylon. It's a serious thing to resist the word and the warnings of the living God. Okay, and in this last siege... Thousands and thousands of the Jewish people were killed. The kings that had mocked Jeremiah, one of them had his sons killed in front of his eyes, and then his own eyes were gouged out. The last thing he saw on earth was his sons being killed in front of him, then his eyes were gouged out. And, and, and that king had persecuted Jeremiah and burned his writing. I tell you, folks, the Word of God's a serious thing. The Word of the Lord's a serious thing. Can I have an amen? That's why America better wake up fast. All right? Now, what we have now is God's people captive in a strange 
and godless land for their sins against the Lord, taken off to Babylon. It was an epic tragedy. And, and one of the ways it's described, and I want to read it to you, is in Psalms 137. We don't know who the psalmist was. It doesn't tell us who wrote Psalms 137. But here's the way it reads. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we, we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows. In other words, we don't have a song anymore. We're not going to play guitar in this land. We're not going to be singing songs of joy. We hung our harps up. We put our musical instruments up. We put them up on the willows. And then it goes on, for there those who carried us away captive, the Babylonians, asked of us a song. Sing a song, Hebrews. We hear your great uh, singers and musicians. And those who plundered us requested mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us one of your praise songs. And then look at how they replied. Read it with me. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now that's just a little glimpse into what they were experiencing. The, the, they'd been punched in the gut. They, they, they couldn't sing. They knew that they had blown it royally. They knew that they were in captivity for what they had done. And they lost their song. They lost their joy. And if they understood the Word of God at all, because Jeremiah had been, had been shown um, that they would be in captivity for 70 years. God literally showed that to him. And if they knew anything about Jeremiah's prophecies, they knew, uh-oh, we're not here for a week or a month or a year. This is a 70-year prison sentence. So their song was gone. They had magnanimously blown it. And now they had 70 years to consider their mistakes. Wow, ouch. In the meantime, the first thing we notice is that Nebuchadnezzar instructs his servants to go and search out the cream of the crop amongst the Hebrew young men. Now here's what, what I think, what we're about to look at is, is, is the focal point, one of the main thrusts of the first six chapters of Daniel, what we're about to see come down here. The, Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to go out and find the cream of the crop of the Hebrew young men. It says in verse 4, here's how they are described. What he was looking for is described. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might, watch this, teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans, meaning the Babylonians. Who's he after? I want your brightest. I want your best. I want your gifted. I want your most talented. I want those with the greatest potential so that I can indoctrinate them. Put another way, I want into your school. I want into the school of the gifted. So Nebuchadnezzar wants the best, brightest, most gifted. Why? Why do you want them? Why did he say, I want you to go find the best and the brightest? Why? Here's why. Look at how the devil works. To assimilate them. That's what he was after. To assimilate them into Babylonian culture. To indoctrinate them. To teach them the language of Babylon and seduce them into Babylonian ways. 
What do you think is going on in public schools? If you're a teacher in public schools, listen, I'm not condemning you for that. Thank God, as a believer, you're there. But, but, but I want to show you something. When the devil wants to bring a nation down, he uses, among other things, educational indoctrination. I want to suggest to you that what's going on in many colleges anymore is not education. It's indoctrination into liberal ideology and godless thinking and a godless ways of looking at things. I guarantee you. I mean, look at what's happening to our colleges. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. And, and what about the kids, high school, junior high? As soon as the government took over the schools, what was the government's intention? To get them to think like we think, to look at things the way we look at things. I, I want to suggest to you that they don't teach reading, writing, and arithmetic like they did when I was in elementary school, when I was in junior high. They don't. There's more indoctrination into liberal thinking, which is, i got to be careful here, but when I say liberal, I mean godless thinking, unbiblical thinking. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing. I want your best and brightest because they will influence everybody else. They're the leaders. I want your leaders. I want the ones with charisma. I want the ones I can train because if I can train them, he was kind of thinking like Jesus did when he got the 12 and trained them. What did Jesus do? He trained them to think like the kingdom. Look at the world through the eyes of the kingdom. Jesus trained them. It says he called them to be with him before he sent them out for him. That's why be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Nebuchadnezzar is doing a very diabolical thing here. The first thing we learn here is that it's always the enemy's way to indoctrinate God's people into the ways of the world and remove us from God's teachings and God's ways. No wonder that Paul wrote to the Romans, and you, you know this verse, but boy, what a powerful verse. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Read it with me. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The more your mind is renewed, the more you will understand God's will for you. Okay? Now, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to conform the best and the brightest and most promising of God's people to the ways of Babylon. And Babylon here represents the world. And what we're going to see in the first six chapters of Daniel is repeated attempts to persuade and cajole and even force Daniel to compromise his convictions. That's how he ended up in the lion's den. And that's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in the burning, fiery oven because they refused to assimilate. Now, Daniel wasn't alone in the choosing process. I've already mentioned them, but let's just see what the Bible, how the Bible introduces them. Four Hebrews were picked. They were the creme de la creme, the best of the best, and they were Daniel. Well, I'll go ahead and read it. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel... I'm going to explain these next names to you in a moment. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. What did he do? 
He gave names. Why would he change their name? To change their identity. So we got real indoctrination going on here. And he changed it to Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. They all got renamed. Which, once again, if, if, if the, the enemy wants to really get hold of your life, he will change the way you see yourself. Jesus said to Peter, you have been called, you have been called Simon, you have been as unstable as water, but I'm going to call you Peter because you're going to be like a rock. He renamed him. When Jacob was returning home and about to cross the river and encounter his brother again, who he had wronged so many years before, he wrestled with the angel, and after wrestling with the angel, the angel who was Jesus changed his name from Jacob, meaning con artist, to Israel, meaning blessed of God. Changed his name. So here we got name changes going on here. Now jumping back a bit, verses 4 and 5 describe the king's tactics. First, he sought to teach them the Babylonian language. Second, he sought to change their eating habits. Look what it says. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank. And third, his plan of indoctrination was long-term, three years. It says three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. I don't know where Hefty came from. (laughs) Golly. I thought, well, that clicker has gone bad on me already. Anyway. And verses 6 and 7 that we just revealed a fourth tactic to change their names and hence their identity because their Hebrew names were godly, God-glorifying names. Daniel meant God is my judge. Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Belteshazzar where the beginning of the name Bel means Baal. And the entire name means the treasurer of Baal. He, he gave him a name that was connected to a godless idol. Change his name. Shadrach's original name was Hananiah, meaning the favorite of God. What a beautiful name. But Shadrach meant <clears throat> the inspiration of the sun, which alluded to sun worship, another Babylonian idol. So he named him after idolatry. Now look, Meshach's original name was Mishael. Isn't that pretty? It just rolls off the tongue, Mishael, meaning the powerful one of God. While Meshach was derived from a Babylonian female goddess idol named Shak. What's he doing? Look at the enemy, changing their names from godly, God-glorifying names that gave them an identity. I belong to the real God and changed their names to things that were connected to idols and idol worship and occultism to change their name and their identity. There's one more. Abednego's original name was Azariah, meaning the help of Jehovah. Isn't that beautiful? 
while Abednego means the servant of the sun. Again, an occultic, idolatrous name pertaining to sun worship. So, man, look at this effort to indoctrinate these young teenagers. And they were teens. They were teenagers. So Nebuchadnezzar's plan for them was wicked. He was after their language, their diet, their identity, and I'm going to tell you, he was was going to ply them with alcohol. He wanted them drinking wine. Now, you can think what you want about alcohol. Here's what I think about it. With every sip you take, you increase your chances of making a bad decision. The Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave that there. But notice how part of the indoctrination involved alcohol. Part, part of getting them to the place where he could change their thinking involved getting them to drink. And he set aside an intense, prolonged three-year time of indoctrination for them. So for me, the standout event of chapter 1 is how Daniel and his three friends resist the indoctrination. Can we just say those last three words together? Resist the indoctrination. Now, i got to tell you, well, let me just read verse verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. And and look at how Daniel made up his mind right at the very start. But Daniel, verse 8 says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now let me stop right here and tell you emphatically that I believe this is the battle the church faces today. I think it's interesting we're teaching Daniel right now because what we're seeing them experience here at the beginning of Daniel 1 is exactly what the church is being pummeled with in our day and time. The attempt of secular forces, of a secular government, of a post-Christian nation to force us into the mold of the world to the point of Christians are being arrested, Christians are losing their jobs, Christian, Christians are being persecuted, Christians are being, are being, are being uh, uh, ostracized because they won't agree with the world's take on particular things. Same-sex marriage. You know, just as an example, uh, people have lost their jobs, lost their businesses, lost their livelihood because they would not cater to that. And, and the, the, the examples are myriad, and, and they, 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 have, they have really burst on the scene in the last years. And the pressure now that's being put on the church, and what has amazed me is the number of churches and even entire denominations that are selling out and caving in to this pressure. And I want to predict something to you. This pressure is going to increase. It's going to increase. And, and we're going to have to have in us what was in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to have to have that purpose in our hearts that we will not defile ourselves with the king's delicacies. And I can just take that and work it and, and put it this way. The king's philosophies, the king's way of looking at things, the king's way of doing things. Gonna have to take a stand. 
The pressure to assimilate into worldly thinking and worldly godless ways has never been stronger in America. And I've been preaching in America for 40 years. And I'm going to tell you, it's not the same nation I started preaching in. Oh, no. I don't even know this nation in some ways anymore. It's so changed. It's amazed me that it happened in a generation. One generation. My generation. It happened. We're going to see strong parallels in this book of Daniel to our own day and time and hopefully learn that God honors and protects his people when they refuse to compromise and cave to a depraved culture. Daniel made up his mind at the very beginning that he would not submit to the king's ways, and the king of Babylon represents simply the world. This is why we've called this series Courageous Living in Turbulent Times. Now, next, I want you to notice how confident Daniel was that God would honor his courageous stand. Watch this, church. He knew. Daniel, was a, he was a teenager, but, man, he had a grip on God. And he understood, if I take a stand for what is right, I don't know how it's all going to fall down around me, how it's all going to uh, uh, take place, or how it's all going to come about, what the end product's going to be. But I do believe this. I believe God will take care of me if I stand with him. So he said to the king's eunuch, basically, let's make a deal. And look at verse 9 through 14. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So the first thing we noticed, the one who made up his mind he would not defile himself had favor. Amen? Everybody say favor. favor. How many of you want some favor? favor. Now, notice the one who said, I'm not going to defile myself and compromise and cave in, he had favor. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Because Daniel had said to him, I don't want to eat this food or drink this alcohol. Let us just eat veggies. Give me a veggie platter. Give me a a veggie burger. I'm not going to eat the king's delicacies. So the eunuch is saying to him, hey, if I did that and then you went before the king after three years and you guys didn't look good, he'd take my head off. Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let's make a deal. Test us for 10 days. Let us eat the veggies that we choose for 10 days. Give us vegetables to eat and water to drink, not wine, water. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy. Compare us to them. Compare us to the other young men who are caving to the culture. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. So you've got a 10-day test going on. Daniel and the three Hebrew children are, are, are eating vegetables and drinking water. All the rest of the young men are caving to the culture and eating the king's delicacies and going the way of Babylon. Okay? And now we've got a 10-day test. How are we going to look? Daniel believed that God would stand or would confirm his no-compromise stand with visible results. Let me tell you, church, taking a stand for God 
always brings positive results down the road. Always. You may have all your peers saying, are you going to go on with that Jesus stuff? You're not going to have any fun. You ought to be partying hardy with us. Come on into Babylon with us. But if you're wise, you will walk with Jesus. And you will walk in the Word and you will do what He says. You will live according to the Word of God. And let me tell you what will happen. The ones that were mocking you will eat warm, cooked crow down the road. Because in the long haul, walking with Jesus always makes you shine. You always come out looking better for it. I guarantee you. So he took a stand. Ten days go by. Daniel had to wait ten days. And you may have to wait a season for your no-compromise decision to bear fruit. But Daniel believed that at the end of those ten days, a difference would be seen between himself and his ungodly peers. Now, notice also that the majority is not always right. Did you hear that? The majority is not always right. Have you realized that? That, that? More times than not, the majority is flat wrong. The majority is oftentimes the lemmings just walking off the cliff to their destruction. The minority was four teenagers in the whole kingdom that refused the king's delicacies. So the majority wasn't right. The majority of young men were eating the king's delicacies, drinking the king's wine, and living the Babylonian lifestyle. But Daniel and his three friends, the small minority of four, were not moved to follow the crowd. They stood on principle, not popularity. I'm going to say that again. They stood on principle and not popularity. Love principle and don't look to be popular if you've got a compromised principle to be popular. You'll have sand in your mouth at the end if you compromise principle to be popular. Because the same people that are slapping you on the back today will stab you in the back tomorrow. What was the result of the 10-day test? Look what it says. At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Can we all say amen together? Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables. And now the blessings that resulted from their no compromise stand just kept rolling in. Not only did they look better than all of those who had gone the way of Babylon, but here's more blessing. Look at this. As for these four young men, in verse 17, Daniel 1, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Do you see what's happening here? Here they were. They said, we're going to stand with God. We're not going with the crowd. We don't care what our peers say. We're going to stand on principle, not on popularity. And not only did they look better, but here comes even more blessings. They start getting really wise. They start getting really good at interpreting literature. And not only that, the supernatural entered in because Daniel began to experience the ability to interpret visions and dreams just like Joseph. And you don't see that anywhere in his life until now. Wow. They experienced what Paul describes as the renewing of their minds. Look at these, look at these powerful things that knowledge, skill, Wisdom, 
How many of you want this set over your own children? How are your kids doing? Oh, man, they're so full of knowledge and skill and wisdom. Wouldn't that be great? And their spiritual faculties became highly developed, particularly with Daniel. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And Daniel's ability to interpret dreams and visions would be, watch this, everybody, would be the spiritual gift that saved their lives down the road and brought a pagan kingdom to its knees. Now, please pay attention to this now. Really important. Here's Daniel. He's in the shadows. They're not, they're not on the front burner right now in the kingdom of Babylon. They're off in a Babylonian school, supposedly learning Babylonian ways, but they're not. They've resisted assimilation. They said, we're going to walk with God. And now Daniel is experiencing the Holy Spirit teaching him how to supernaturally hear somebody's dream and interpret what it means in God. And God knew that down the road, it would save their lives. And we're going to look at that as we go through the first six chapters. would literally save their lives because Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, first dream, chapter 2. We're going to read about it next week. Chapter 2, because he interpreted that dream, not only was his life saved and the three Hebrew children, but even false prophets and wizards and occultist lives were saved because Daniel was able to interpret an incredibly difficult dream. And when did God teach it to him? In the midst of a no-compromise stand. Jesus, help us. Jesus, speak to us. I get so sick of reading the news, and here goes another one caved, and there's another one caved, and yet another one caved in to the pressure of the culture. What the culture needs to see is a no-cave body of Christ. That's what it needs to see. So look how God develops you and me early on in the shadows when nobody's looking to prepare us for a day when everyone is looking and the stakes couldn't be higher. God's working on you right where you are right now. Uh, you, you know, you may be in the limelight to a, to a point, but not like you're going to be. And, and God knows who you're going to encounter. He knows who's going to be around you. He knows the circumstances that are gonna, you're going to face. He knows the pressures you're going to face. And if you're submitted to him, and you're in a no-compromise stance. You say, I'm not going to assimilate into a pagan kingdom. I'm not going to think like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, look like the world, but I'm going to renew my mind getting into that word every day. I'm going to let God speak to me. I'm going to, listen, I don't know how any Christian gets up and does not get into the word and prayer in this current culture we're living in. I don't know how you could possibly do it. I hope that you get more word than you do from me on a Wednesday and a Sunday. I hope that what I share with you is only a cherry on top of the Sunday of what God's given you all week long in your own private time. Because, see, if you're in a no compromise, Lord, I'm not going to assimilate into this, into this world. If that's your stance, God is shaping you in the shadows. He's shaping you in the shadows. Just like he was these four Hebrew children these teens. 
When the three years had ended, the four Hebrew teenagers who were supposed to be thoroughly indoctrinated into good Babylonians were brought before the king. And look what happened. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them. They got taken to the principal's office. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God created, God formed and shaped four teenagers that were incomparable. Nobody could stand up next to them. They were excellent. Therefore, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He tested them, and he found them ten times. Everybody say it with me, ten times. Now let's try ten times better. Ten times better. See, the world looks at Christians and say, what a bunch of stupid morons. They don't believe in evolution. They believe that dumb Bible. They're not up to speed. They're, they're not with it. In other words, they're not good Babylonians. But you walk with God. You walk with God, and you let him fill you with the wisdom of the word. And you know what he will do? You, you will have the last laugh because you will wind up ten times better in character, in wisdom, in things that count than all the magicians and all the astrologers who were there in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued and here's the mention of Cyrus that I was telling you about until the first year of King Cyrus. When you live for God, and I'm wrapping it up here, fully and completely surrendered to him, there will eventually be none like you in wisdom, understanding, character, and godliness. The whole drift of these final passages is to tell us that the four Hebrew teens who had refused to compromise their godly principles shined like bright lights in a kingdom of darkness. And that's God's plan for his church today. Let's stand together and just quote out loud together these last seven words from Jesus. Are you ready? You are the light of the world. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Tell them, you are the light of the world. Now turn to the other side and tell them, you are the light of the world. I'm about to have revival here. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's the first chapter. We finished it, Daniel 1. And so we're seeing God preparing choice men for a very dark hour, and they're going to be instrumental in turning a kingdom to God. Father, we just thank you right now for this powerful book. Thank you for this lesson tonight. Thank you for this lesson of a no-compromise stand, refusing to cave in to the Babylonian assimilation. And we will not, we're in the world, but not of it, Lord. Now, do a great work in your people. Can you lift your hands to the Savior and just say, Lord, make me wise. Make me skilled. And make my character like yours. And then help me make a difference. In Jesus' name.